You are listening to a message from City Church of Richmond, located in Richmond, Virginia. We are a broken people, loved by God, continually restored by Christ, and sent out to worship God, serve our city, and work for its renewal. To learn more about City Church and to find out how to get connected to our community, visit our website at citychurchrva.com. That's C-I-T-Y-C-H-U-R-C-H-R-V-A.com. And thanks for listening. It's great to see all of you here at City Church this afternoon at the Beth Ahaba campus. Um, my name is Eric Bonkowski. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church. And, you know, for the last month, as I've given these messages, I feel like I've shown great restraint. I haven't said anything about the World Cup yet. Uh, wrapped up today, for those of you who know, it's a, a small soccer tournament that the world has been watching. And um, it, it was fun. I watched a lot of the matches. I do, I'm, I'm not a big uh, soccer fan, football fan, sorry, uh, for the, the purists out there. Um, I do have some observations slash questions. And so some of you who are more plugged into worldwide soccer, you can fill me in maybe after the service. There, I mean, one, the, the one thing that's obvious, right, for all of us that we just have to acknowledge is the flopping involved in soccer, right? The, of course, these grown men who fall down to the ground and are crying out in pain and agony which is okay like I'm all for that be honest about it it's the fact that they bounce right back up and then bound off you know as soon as the ref doesn't call a penalty and then they're fine um, it's, it's like magic it's, it's resurrection it's Lazarus uh, on the pitch um, the other thing that I find interesting that's related to the flopping is when there is an injury there um, the, the way that they treat injuries in soccer seems very primitive like, uh, they, they really have two things that they can do for any injury. You know, the medical staff comes out, they sometimes bring the stretcher, but all they do to treat an injury is the water bottle and the cold spray. It's like, if we can squirt a water bottle on you, you'll be fine. That's, that's your, your miracle cure. Um, another thing I appreciate about the World Cup and, in, and soccer in general is the intensity of the fans. Um, people love their soccer, for real. Uh, did anyone else, while you were watching World Cup games, have that moment of like awkwardness, discomfort when they were showing fans with the Arab headdresses on? I was like, this seems like some weird cultural appropriation going on. But I read in the New York Times that uh, uh, Arabs were all for it. Um, I think because they were selling a lot of these to fans who came from around the world. Um, but that wasn't the weirdest headdress uh, that was worn by certain fans of the World Cup. Did you see that some fans, and I think this is primarily from Eastern European countries, but their fans, they're decked out in like the whole soccer kit, and then they're wearing water polo headgear. Did anyone see, like Croatia was big in the water polo headgear. I have no idea what that means, or why you would go to a soccer match and wear a water polo headgear. Uh, could you imagine doing that for other sporting events? I don't know. Um, maybe, maybe it's a trend that we should, we should start out. Um, those are my observations in the World Cup, so I look forward to conversation with you after the, the service. Um, like I said, I'm not, I'm not a big uh, soccer fan, although I did play soccer from first grade through ninth grade, and I was thinking a little bit this week, why, why is it that, uh, you know, soccer didn't, like, grab me the way that some other sports do that I, that I continue to follow to this day. And I, I don't know if this is really the answer to that question or not, but as I was thinking about it this week, I realized I don't remember a single soccer match that I played in 
that my dad came to, right? First through ninth grade, I was on a travel team. Yeah, I was. Um, and, uh, you know, all, all these different games, and I, I know my mom came to some of them, and my dad picked me up occasionally from practice, but I don't remember my dad coming to any of the games. So maybe it's like this, this deep wound that I have from uh, my father's neglect that has turned me a little bit away from, from soccer. Um, and, and the reason I share that is because whether or not it's really true as it relates to soccer, I think it is true for most all of us as it relates to our parents. That um, somewhere along the line in our experience, there are wounds that we've picked up. Some uh, that were deliberate and intentional, many that, that weren't, that were just a function of life. I was reading this week about a young Irish boy named Paul Hewson who, when he was 14 years old, his mother passed away unexpectedly. And uh, his dad remained distant and didn't really connect with this teenage boy. And uh, he, he talked about how that grief and that absence of his mother and his father, for that matter, turned him to rock and roll. And that little Irish boy, is better known as Bono, went on to be one of the most successful rock and roll musicians of our time. And he uh, recently published a memoir, and in that memoir he says that it was the, the grief over the hole in his heart that his mom left that made him into a rock star, made him the man who would stand before thousands of adoring fans and sing, trying to fill the gap that was in his heart and in his life. And, and I share all of that because today I'm going to talk about family. I'm going to talk about what it means to be a son, what it means to be a daughter, which I think all of us have some currency with. There's some connection point to that for all of us. And I'm going to do that by talking about <clears throat> Galatians 4 verses 4 and 5, which has been our text each of the Sundays of Advent here at City Church. And uh, we're going to read that together now, although I do want to see, you know, I, I, I issued a challenge uh, the, the first week. I said, hey, this would be a great passage to memorize, and we provided some tattoos even for the, the little kids or the older kids to help memorize this verse. Is there anyone who has memorized Galatians 4, 4 through 5, who would like to uh, recite it this afternoon? Didn't know you are going to be put on the spot, huh? All right, that's okay. I'll read it for us. This is Galatians 4, verses 4 through 5. God's word that he's given to us because he loves us so much. Here's what it says. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. Gracious Father, we're thankful for this space in this time where we can pull away from the busyness and the responsibility of this time of year and be with you. We pray that your spirit would come, that Emmanuel would come, fill this space, fill our hearts and seal to us again the benefits of the gospel, that we would know that we belong to you, 
because of the gift of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. So admittedly, Galatians 4, 4 through 5 is not a classic Advent text. But it does begin with this phrase, the fullness of time. It, it uh, points us to waiting, to expectation, which is what the core of Advent is all about. It's also not really a classic Christmas text. It's not a text that's read at uh, services of lessons and carols. But twice in these two verses, it talks about Jesus being born, born of woman, born under the law. It talks about God sending his son. And so these themes of Christmas, what we celebrate, what we recognize at this time of year, are present in the passage. Really, these verses, most uh, scholars think, uh, were in early confession. We just confessed our faith using the Nicene Creed. These verses are likely one of the first types of confession that Christians used as a summary of what the message of Jesus is all about, a way to remember uh, what Jesus did for us, why he came. And that's why I suggested memorizing these verses. Because if we can memorize these verses, we can remind ourselves of the core of why Jesus came, what he came to do for us. But you'll notice, even in reading those verses, that it doesn't just talk about Christmas, does it? It says, born of a woman, born under the law, but then it goes on to say more. And that's instructive for us. Because whenever we think about Christmas, we ought to think forward in the life of Jesus. We don't simply celebrate Christmas. Certainly, it's a major part of God's work in the world. The incarnation, God became flesh. But in and of itself, it's not enough. We celebrate Christmas because of the life that Jesus lived, because of the death that Jesus died. Because of the fact that uh, one Sunday morning, the tomb that Jesus had been laid in was empty. You see, all of these events are connected. Advent leads us to Easter. It's as though um, all of these events are part of the fullness of time. The fullness of time started when Jesus was born, but we still live in that fullness of time waiting for Jesus to return as the judge, as the glorified Savior who will make all things right. What I want you to think about is these different events, Jesus' birth, Jesus' death, Jesus' promise to come again. It says, though they're all connected on a piece of elastic, and when you pull on any one of them, the others come with it. They're tied to it. And so we today are tied back to Israel They, in the fullness of time, were waiting for the first appearance of a Savior, just as we today are waiting for his second appearance. That is an entrance into their waiting. And we can identify with their longing and with the weariness that they felt, because we feel it too. The fullness of time isn't one moment, but it stretches across thousands of years And it unites us with believers of all time. So with with that as kind of background, I want to focus today on the final clause in Galatians 4, 4 through 5. This clause that says that that we might receive adoption as sons. 
And right off the bat, let me say this, because for some of you, especially females today, that, that verse may rub you the wrong way. It may feel exclusionary. And it's not meant to. The the word here, the phrase is inclusive. It's sons and daughters. Now, it's not translated that way for a particular reason, but its meaning includes all people who would put their faith in Jesus Christ. The reason it's not translated as sons and daughters is because the word adoption has the root for the word son. So a, a better translation to draw this out a little bit more would be so that you might receive sonship as sons. And, and it's connected to verse 4 where it says, but in the fullness of time God sent forth his son, same root, so that you might become sons. Uh, Paul wants to draw these connections for us to see that our new standing before God as his children is directly tied to Jesus Christ. And his coming, his being born in human flesh, he the eternal Son of God, became the Son of Mary and Joseph so that we might become sons of God in heaven. You notice that this this verse, these verses that two times mention uh, Jesus' birth, they end with our rebirth. Our rebirth as sons and daughters of God. And this is a a theme of Christmas. In fact, at the end of the service, we're going to sing the the Christmas carol, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. And it draws that point home. It says that Jesus uh, was, was born for the sons of earth, for the sons and daughters of earth, to give us second birth. It's the same point that Paul is making in Galatians 4. Adoption is the crowning achievement of Christ's work for us in his life and his death and his resurrection. Here's the other thing that I want you to understand about adoption and why it's, it's so important, uh, not just here in Galatians, but throughout the New Testament. Because adoption is the culmination, it's the fulfillment of the old, old promise of God. It goes back all the way to the Garden of Eden, all the way to Abraham. Remember, in Genesis 15, Abraham is given a promise. He uh, he is told by God that your son shall be your heir. Here, Abraham, who was an old man, 90, 90 years old, didn't have any children to call his own. God promises him a son, but not just any son, a son who uh, would make Abraham the father of God of many, as many descendants as there are stars in the sky, as many as uh, there are grains of sand on the seashore. Father Abraham, this old, old promise is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And we get a sense of that. We know that that's on Paul's mind from Galatians 3. Because in a very similar uh, section to what we have in Galatians 4, uh, Paul writes this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. It's an echo of what he'll say later in Galatians 4. And what's on his mind is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham. Our adoption is God making good on what he had promised thousands of years earlier. 
It restores everything that was lost in Adam's fall. Remember, Adam and Eve had this intimate, close walk with God. Sin brought rupture to that. And in Christ Jesus, we are returned to that sort of intimate walk with God as his sons and daughters. You know, throughout Advent, another thing we've been doing here at City Church is in our uh, daily podcast, Good Morning City Church, that many of you have written and recorded for us. We have been tracing this old promise through the Old Testament, using these readings from the Old Testament, showing how they all have their fulfillment in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is saying here. In the fullness of time, these old promises, these old stories of God and His love for humanity, they have been proved true in Jesus Christ. That's why we celebrate Christmas. That's why we wait in longing for His second coming. So that's this background of adoption and and why that word is so important to Paul. Why it's, it's pregnant with meaning for us. And I want to spend just a couple of minutes of giving you a few more handles or anchors to understand what adoption means. I think if we had to summarize adoption, the best way to understand it would be as beloved belonging. That's what adoption is. So that you might receive beloved belonging as daughters and sons of God. That's the core of this metaphor. About 10 years ago, maybe 12 years ago, I forget exactly when, uh, Sarah and I drove over to Southern Maryland one Friday morning because uh, Sarah's brother was adopting two boys, brothers, out of foster care. And we drove over there and we went straight to the courthouse. It was this powerful scene where the judge asked some questions of Um, Sarah's brother and his wife and they answered those questions and then with all the authority of a judge of the state of Maryland he said that these boys now belong they were adopted into a new family it was a legal declaration we went straight from the courthouse though we went to a pizza place and we had a party we had a meal and and I was thinking about it this week that uh, that legal statement mattered immensely It changed the course of lives for James and for Richard. But they needed more than just a statement from a judge. They needed to believe that they belonged and that they were loved. And that's what the pizza party began to do. And then it was furthered by hugs and songs at night as their parents put them to sleep. And it was deepened as their parents stood on the sidelines of countless games and cheered for them and went to their assemblies and went to their school events. That's when they began to believe that they belonged to this new family and that they were loved. You see, that's what adoption is. It has both of these components. There's a theologian named Donald McLeod and he summarizes it this way the judge doesn't uh sorry i lost my my place that the judge um doesn't just say that you're forgiven instead he turns to the poor creature and says with infinite love and tenderness i want you to come home with me i want you to be my son i want you to live under my roof 
share my table, bear my name, be heir to all that I possess. You see, that begins to get at what beloved belonging feels like. And last week, I talked about this earlier phrase of how Christ has come to uh, redeem us from the curse of the law, and that's vitally important, right? The the curse against our sin and our disobedience, we're redeemed from that. But the judge, God, who makes that declaration doesn't stop there. He says, you are forgiven, and now come, live with me. Know the intimacy of family life. And the reason I'm stressing this is because I think when it comes to our relationship with God, that penny hasn't dropped. Many of us maybe have heard that uh, Jesus forgives our sin, but we don't feel as though we've been welcomed into God's family. Do you believe that you are beloved and that you belong in God's family? You're not just justified, friends. You're adopted. You're not just free from the law, you are God's children. You're not just accepted grudgingly with a shake of the head. You are beloved. You're not just okay, you belong. And that's what the the whole story of Christ's coming is all about. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. It is that God became flesh and dwelt among us, but it it is also that the eternal Son of God, Jesus, gave up His right to eternal fellowship as that Son and experienced forsakenness on the cross so that you and I could become sons and daughters. Right? There's this great exchange that happens. Yes, Christ was born, but as we pull on that piece, remember the elastic that is also pulling the cross into our view. And that moment where Christ cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In those moments of agony on the cross, Jesus did not belong so that you and I would. Adoption is beloved belonging to God. That's why it's so important for us. But in the very next two verses, there's a little more that Paul says. I didn't read these earlier. Let me read them now because they help us understand adoption. It says, and because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. There are two things that I want to emphasize here that, again, further flesh out what this adoption means. The first is that adoption means becoming an heir according to the promise. You're adopted into the family. You have all the rights of children and that includes an inheritance. The the gift of adoption, the blessing of adoption isn't just now, it's for eternity. There are eternal riches that are yours. Because you have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. I was talking to a friend of mine this week on the phone and he uh, also has teenage children and we were talking a little bit about some of the challenges with that. And how do you walk a line between um, creating structure and discipline in your kid's life but also loving them and making sure they know that. And he, uh, he shared with me, he said, it kind of felt It kind of feels like um, our daughter was banking on the fact that we were going to show her grace. And I said to him, 
maybe that's not such a bad thing. Maybe, in fact, that's the entire goal of what it means to be a parent. That our kids would look at us and they would say, you know what? Mom and dad are going to respond with grace. They're going to give me another chance. In fact, I'm so confident of that, I can bank on it. I can take it to the bank. My inheritance, in other words, is grace. That's adoption. That's what it means to belong to God. You can be secure in that reality because he's never going to take it away from you. I heard an old story about some other kids who were adopted into a family and they came from a situation, I think, uh, in another country, in a third world country where they never had enough. And they, it was their first week in their adopted home. And in the middle of the night, the, the, the father in the home heard a noise downstairs in the kitchen. He went downstairs and the kids were uh, eating food. They were stuffing their faces with food from the refrigerator. He was like, what, what are you doing? Did you not get enough at dinner time? And they said, we did, but we were afraid there wouldn't be food the next day. You see, when you're adopted by your heavenly father, there is always food the next day. You can bank on his grace because he has given you an inheritance of riches. So we're adopted, but we're also heirs. The other thing I want you to see in those verses comes in verse 6. And it says, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son. You have received the fullness of the spirit of God as a seal of your adopted identity. This is what seals to you your beloved belonging with God. And, and really what I think the Spirit is meant to communicate for us is intimacy. Because there in verse 6, he says, uh, the Spirit helps us to cry out, Abba, Father. It helps us to cry out, Daddy, Mommy. It's not just a legal declaration. It's a declaration of great intimacy. I have two older sisters, and the older of those two sisters, her name is Laura, and she's adopted. She was adopted in um, 1972, just days after she was born. And uh, I, I remember uh, when, when she became around 18 or 20 years old, my parents uh, offered to her um, to find her biological parents. And many people do this. It's a good thing to do. It can be valuable for um, health reasons, medical histories. Uh, it can also be good relationally. Um, but I remember that when my parents offered that to Laura, she said no. She said no because you're my mom and dad. You're the ones who were at all the games. You're the ones whose laps I sat on when I was sad. You're the ones who played that role of mom and dad. That's a picture of what the Spirit seals to us, this level of intimacy that communicates what it means to be an adopted child of God. If you were here at City Church last week, you know I told this story of a time when I was in third grade and my dad, I had a friend over and my dad said, hey, I need you to do a chore. I need you to go scythe some weeds that were growing on this 
hillside and how that story has stuck with me. And it stuck with me because um, it sort of feels like the relationship was one of being a servant, right? If I, if I do my chores, if I do the right things, then that's how I relate to my dad. And I can transfer that so easily into how I relate to God. You see, it's adoption that changes that feeling for me. It's, it's this theological truth, it's this point that Paul is trying to make, that you might receive adoption as sons, that I need to hear again and again to remember that I don't relate to God as a servant or a slave. I don't relate to God as an orphan. I relate to God as his son. I belong to him and I am beloved by him. Where are the places, where are the ways that you are prone to think that you're God's servant and that all he wants from you is to do another chore, to do things right, to maybe get it right this time? There's another story that I love and I've told before. It's of, a, it's of this same idea of how um, our experiences with our parents often get twisted around and we apply those towards God. It's a story of a little girl, probably four or five years old, and she wanted to be a help to her parents. She wanted to do all the right things, and so she took one of her father's uh, shirts that had just been washed, and she wanted to pin it up to the clothesline outside, but she was too short to reach and pin the shirt there, and so she did the next best thing, she thought. She laid it against a wheelbarrow nearby to, to dry. And of course, putting a wet shirt on the wheelbarrow meant that the shirt ended up with rust stains. And, and maybe as would be expected, her, her father was upset that a shirt had been ruined. Later in life, she began to hear the truth of the gospel, of what it means to be adopted by God. But she had all these prior memories that she had... Uh, imported into her relationship with God and, and, and the gospel was doing this work trying to unwind some of the false things that she believed and she said, you know what? I'm starting to understand that if God is my father, that if I'm his adopted daughter, then he wouldn't have been upset with me if I put his shirt on the wheelbarrow. And she's right. But the gospel goes further, friends. And as someone told this little girl who is now a grown woman, preaching the gospel to her, she said, no, what your heavenly father would have done is he would have put the shirt on. He would have worn it to the office. And when people looked and pointed out the rust stain, he would have said, let me tell you about my daughter. And how much she loves me. Friends, that is the gospel. God is your father and he loves you. He's not grudgingly putting up with you. He intimately desires to be with you. For you to come into his house, to sit down at table with him, to laugh and to cry. And to hear his voice saying, you are mine. You are mine. For each of us, we have a choice every day. 
Will we live before God as though he's the parent who didn't show up at our soccer game? Or will we live in a way that is trying to fill the hole in our hearts? That a mom who died at 14 or a dad who never really spoke with us has left. We can go to great lengths to do that. Selling out stadiums so that people will chant our names and clap for us. Or we can trust the gospel. That in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that they might receive adoption, beloved belonging, as sons and daughters. Let's pray. Gracious Father, I thank you for the good news of adoption. And as we think this week about you sending your son to us, let us not lose sight of the end result of his coming to earth so that we could belong to you, so that we might hear your tender voice cheering us on, accepting us, filling in and making right the holes in our hearts and the places that our hearts and lives have been twisted and bent out of shape. Oh, what a Savior you are. Help us to know your love better and more deeply. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.